Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. From the soul of Brooklyn, you're listening to The Face Radio. Cut Above with Tom Hoy is proudly sponsored by Mod Shoes. Smart shoes for smart people. Shop the latest range of men's and women's footwear and clothing over at modshoes.co.uk. To my right is Bounty Law Series lead and Jake Cahill himself, Rick Dalton. And to my left is Rick Stutt Double Cliff Booth. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a a lot of dangerous stuff. Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. From Manchester, England to Brooklyn, USA. I'm Tom Hoy and you're listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio. Like many people who enjoy the art of filmmaking, it's hard not to be a massive fan of the work of Quentin Tarantino. Like lots of people, the first film of his I probably saw was Pulp Fiction, an all-star cast, a gripping plot, and most memorably, an amazing soundtrack. A true auteur in filmmaking, Tarantino's movies are more than just hits on the silver screen, but they're a study and celebration of the art of cinema. His movies are always the full package, a combination of the perfect cast, soundtrack, plot, and of course, fitting with a show, great clothing. Tarantino's most recent film, and one that's probably influenced me more than any other, 
is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The film visits 1969 Los Angeles, where everything is changing. As TV star Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his longtime stunt double Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt, make their way around an industry they hardly recognise anymore. The ninth film from the writer-director features a large ensemble cast and, a mul and multiple storylines in a tribute to the final moments of Hollywood's golden age. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome back my best mate and Tarantino obsessive just like me, singer-songwriter Ollie Davis. We could talk hours about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but we only have two, so we'll do our best to cram it into this episode for your enjoyment at home wherever you are. So sit back, relax, and hear us waffle on for a couple of hours about the clothes, the story and the aesthetic and everything else in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
Californian sunshine. With the earth spin helping us, we left London at lunchtime and at three o'clock in the afternoon, we're touching down at Los Angeles Airport. We've beaten both climate and clock and here we are heading for Hollywood. The names of the streets are household words translated into magic. The city itself has been built out of the rich epics that all of us know. You'll find streets here where the sidewalks are paved with glittering stars, because this crazy crucible of a town is what the sign says. Welcome back to the show, Ollie Davis. Hello, Ollie. Hello, See, hello. Hello. That there is called actuality, and I wanted to add it in. When you clink a glass or anything, that's actuality, and it shows we're actually having a good time. And speaking of actuality, it's not just in radio to use it, it's also in films. And that leads us nicely on to what are we talking to what are we talking about today, Ollie? So it's uh, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that was a very much a kind of child TV show intro for something that's definitely not a child TV show, isn't it? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> All right. like we're using sound effects now on this. So. Exactly. <laughs> but um speaking seriously and not doing everyone's head in like I possibly was then. But um Briefly, before we dive into everything about um, clothing-wise and style-wise of um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, we're both massive fans of this film, aren't we? I mean, what do you like about it in particular without going into kind of the style, just well, as the film as a whole? Yeah, we don't, want, we don't want to give too much away, but I mean, it's just the whole film in general is just, I mean, it's just cool, mm. isn't it? All of it from the style to the soundtrack yeah. and just like the the sheer lengths that Tarantino has gone to really create that authentic, like late sixties experience and yeah. to really encapsulate that time and place is absolutely phenomenal. And I, I think one thing I would say as well, it's kind of like, I don't remember a film in quite a while. That's kind of a new film anyway. Um, that's not been like a classic one that's influenced me so much since coming out. And I know our DJ night that we do together into tomorrow is kind of heavily, heavily, heavily mm. influenced by this, isn't it? So much so where we're like, Oh my God, wear that, because that is, yeah, I've basically done a DiCaprio outfit before, you've done a Brad Pitt one, which we'll go into later, but I know even from the music we play, we're kind of heavily influenced, aren't we, by the film? Oh no, well, we've we've both started buying the records that we've heard on on the, the film itself as well, and, you know, it's really for me especially, that film was like my first introduction to a lot of those records as well, so it's yeah, yeah, great on all fronts. The real Don Steele, 93 KHJ. 317KHJ, totally intense. That's me, the real Don Steele, Simon Garfunkeling, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
to the film then let's kick off and I, th- I think it's really kind of the whole thing is a love letter isn't it so that that mm. uh, golden era of Hollywood just as it was about to go on its decline and I think that's a really interesting point in the story isn't it because Leonardo DiCaprio's character um, well he mirrors that perfectly really doesn't he so. yeah Rick Dalton is at the end of his tether isn't he mm. he's, he's been this big Hollywood uh, movie star and TV star but now it's changing. Everyone's growing their hair long. Everyone's a hippie. He's not. He's kind of wearing the hippie clothes, but he's still kind of. He's definitely anti-hippie in his sense. Exactly. Some of the comments he makes throughout the film and things, isn't it? So, so like a good starting point for us to talk about and to talk about uh, where exactly where the film starts, of course, is Bounty Law, which obviously is heavily heavily influenced and definitely based on. Um, uh, Wanted Dead or Alive, which starred Steve McQueen. We'll draw on upon later on, won't we, uh, about how, kind of like the similarities between Steve mm. McQueen and uh, Rick Dalton. But I know like that's such a cool opener, isn't it? That it isn't, I mean, he's even recreated some of the shots, hasn't he, from that? Wanted yeah, the Wanted one, poster so reveal. and Amazing it. But yeah, well, I mean, what an intro. It just throws you straight into it. And I think it almost it almost catches you off guard as well, because you normally... I don't know, expect an intro with the, the character, you meet the characters, you know, your, your usual film intro, but this, it just catches you off guard, like, oh, black and white and yeah, you know, small screen in the middle and, you know. It's- well, like, that's it. I know that Tarantino, I can't remember how many different formats of film he's used in the film. It's but so it's many. So many, it? like, he starts off kind of 
whatever the aspect ratio is for like that era of the 60s and it goes up to the film widescreen it goes through them all doesn't it and mm. it's like kind of those little details you'd only know if you're really into film and if not you realize they're there but you're kind of you're subconsciously taking them in, aren't you? It definitely shows that all those details, they really like have an impact over, like you say, whether you're really into the film details like that, or whether you're just a casual viewer, it really does enhance your experience having those differences in there, whether you realize it or not, doesn't it? You know, and um, we're both going to have to sort that out and uh, or seek that out and watch that series because both big fans of Steve McQueen. I've actually not seen uh, Wanted Dead or Alive, unfortunately, but I don't know how easy it is to uh, to watch here in the UK. Do some some digging. Maybe uh, some of the American listeners can hit us up with a DVD or something like that. That would be great. (laughs) That would be great. This man's going to collect. He's Jake Cahill, and he lives by Bounty Law. You don't ever bring him in alive, now do you, Jake? There's three of them and one of me. Killer. Looking at an ugly owl who's about to get his jaw busted. Amateurs try and take men in alive. Amateurs usually don't make it. Whether you're dead or alive, you're just a dollar sign to Jake Cahill on Party Law. Thursdays at 8.30, only on NBC. Do you have any favorite moments from Wanted Dead or Alive that you can... Uh, sorry, um... Uh, Bounty Law, sorry, Bounty Law. That just, you can remember. One of my favourite bits. It always cracks me up every time. Is um, is when he shoots the bloke off the roof and he falls through the uh, oh the yeah, balcony yeah, yeah, and they have the, Wil- the Wilhelm, Wilhelm scream. scream. Insert Wilhelm scream here. <laughs> there we go. That was the Wilhelm scream for people that didn't know. <laughs> and it's just because um, it's a bit of an industry inside joke. That I mean, it's used on a range of Tarantino's films. Yeah, and also across. You listen to it, it's in Star Wars. It's in Indiana Jones. It's in all of those sort of action movies, yeah. you know, um, where the bad guys are getting thrown off a roof or something like well, that. Well, I've heard certain, like some directors have even banned it, mm. where, but then editors will try and sneak it in wherever they can. <laughs> like, I don't know, does that, I, I might be wrong, but I know it, it definitely originates from that era. I can't remember when, but I know George Lucas used a lot of that, didn't mm. he? You're more of a Star Wars buff than me, yeah, but it's, it's he lot, knew loads of, those, of that, used yeah, loads of that, didn't he? Films, yeah, so, cause I think it's one of the earliest um sounds recorded i, th- I, th- I believe oh, I right think. so um and the guy who recorded it wilhelm that's that's his I th- yeah. believe yeah it's his one signature of early, scream one yeah of the early recordings i believe like of sound he just he did that scream and then it's been used throughout history so it is really funny when you see it kind of uh, kind of snuck into something mm. don't you because then you, you hear like i don't know be a serious film and then all of a sudden you'll hear it in and you think oh god yeah. <laughs> almost kind of that doesn't ruin it but kind of like takes your focus off what's yeah. happening doesn't it but in tarantino it works absolutely perfectly. it does especially for that the aesthetic of that yeah the 50s western you know perfect yeah. for it isn't it so i'll tell you the shot i like um out of that it's so it's after the credits and you're finding out if um jake cahill has shot the person mm. that he's up against in the in the um when they're drawing out the pistols and you just see the shadow so you don't know who it is and then all of a sudden the shadow the guy collapses and he's been shot by jake cahill, cahill so you realize oh he's won this one again Proper but cool, it's it? that yeah. old kind of uh 50s 60s western mm. uh filming techniques used in that perfectly and at the cinematography absolutely oh, fantastic yeah. Cody janice wanted for cattle russell in the state of wyoming 425 dollars dead or alive and you brought him here to collect 
I don't even know where here is. It's just the closest place. Caught up with him about five miles outside of town. It's old bounty killer. The name of this town is Janice Town. And that boy you killed was Jody Janice. He was the baby boy of Major Nathan Maxwell Janice. Who's Major Nathan Maxwell Janice? Well, I'll be sure and introduce you when he gets here. And then we have after that, of course, we've got the um, the interview with a CBS uh, news reporter on set speaking to both mm. um, Rick Dalton, uh, who is obviously Leonardo DiCaprio's character, and Brad Pitt's character, uh, Cliff Booth, who is the uh, is stunt double. And that's a perfect place for us to kind of learn as the viewer the relationship they mm. both have, haven't they? And I mean, what did you think of both of those together on screen? Absolutely. Perfect. I mean, I know Tarantino said himself he's what feels like he's one of the luckiest directors to be able to I actually mean, yeah, direct yeah. that and have those two actors in his films. Um, I mean, it's a it's a phenomenal dynamic. They they sell it so well as the old friends and yeah, yeah. It's just perfect how they shoot it and that. It's such a believable law. relationship, yeah. isn't it? And you, that Bounty Law interview, how they've shot it with the uh, the interviewer kind of it pans that goes to different shots of him just sitting and reacting. You can tell it's yeah. probably filmed afterwards. Yeah, ha, 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 really when he's doing the laugh and those, yeah, like, yeah, those really early interviews and that. But um, it's just great how it captures that and then obviously cuts to them straight away. Um, you know, driving back in the car and things. It's just great introduction say, to the relationship. Obviously, we're not going to go through the whole film scene by scene, 
but after Bounty Law, we go to kind of the the driving through the Hollywood Hills, and we have we have the um, we have uh, Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt meeting with Al Pacino, who's mm. kind of trying to get Brad Pitt into Italian movies, um, much to his dismay at the time. Yeah. But that's kind of our first glimpse of what a masterpiece the film is, and uh, you see. Tarantino really did take mm. over central Hollywood, didn't he? he? He shut down roads for, I believe, a period of two hours to be able to recreate the shots he wanted. And he used kind of no CGI. He was big on that, wasn't he? But Yeah, it was right down to even like the little pamphlets in the shop windows. Ridiculous. Everything like that. It's Yeah, I mean, to be able to have the budget and ability to do that, it's... And he, I, I was watching something earlier. Um, I think it was a little 30-minute documentary Sony had put out about the film. Um, and it was saying like a lot of the the shop fronts um, mm. down there on that Hollywood Boulevard, of they're all old theatres. They're not theatres anymore, but they no, still no. kind of have all the old ghost signs and things. So he was like, that was all still there. So they were able to use utilise that, change all the lights, put all like the, you know, the letters up to show there's films on and things. So it was basically, it was there. Well, I found out done. a cool, going on from that, I found a cool fact out that apparently... There was quite a few businesses in in the area that at first were like really skeptical about changing their shop fronts and closing. And since then, uh, after having all the signs up, they haven't actually taken them down because they mm. preferred the look and thought, you know what? We look really cool as a 60s outlet. Like, let's well, keep you, the look. You can see why, can't you? It just looks... Yeah, I mean, definitely. In those, those fast shots where they're driving down there, everything, it just looks proper cool. And it just looks like, ah, oh, that, that's a place I want to be. And what a cool that. kind of... For film buffs like us that love the film, mm. like a cool kind of good, great thing to go and see. Like it's like even like I was telling you about Manchester in in Northern Quarter here in mm. the UK. Um, they've left up all like American signs where they made uh, Northern Quarter into New York for Captain America. Yeah, yeah. But if you ever come across one, it's worth kind of taking a picture of them because they're really cool. But I found a couple, but I know there's more out there, and I'm always on the lookout for those. But um, yeah. Going back to driving through Hollywood, though, that's a proper cool scene, isn't it? And, and I found out as well, a really cool bit of Tarantino trivia, the Cadillac that Brad Pitt drives belongs to Michael Madsen from Reservoir Dogs, and he's actually in Bounty Law very up, briefly, he, isn't he? Yeah. But Because um, he's telling him about the guy who he shoots, doesn't he? But, that's yeah. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, any memorable moments for you from the kind of the driving things, the things that point out to you is like... It's just all of it. It's even down to like... Um, all like the the murals painted on the walls and mm. stuff like that, and it's just proper. I mean that that Cadillac is cool. Like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Cool that. Um, just yeah, that, that whole. I just love that scene because it's just it's like that encapsulates and really throws you as the audience into that straight away. Like you know, you know the time, you know the feel of it straight away. Sunny driving around, the sunglasses, leather yeah. jacket on. You know, and you're in that movie straight away, and you know, you know what you're dealing with.
And talking about the style then, um, in that opening scene, oh, oh, not the opening scene, in that scene where he, uh, Brad Pitt and, uh, sorry, when Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio goes to meet Al Pacino, his outfit is fantastic and he's wearing that kind of leather kind of tan safari jacket mm. uh yellow turtleneck and then the saint christopher on which lots of people used to do along that time mcqueen used to do it mm. uh paul newman used to do it loads of kind of actors from that era i think even like gene vincent i think loads of people then, yeah um, but it doesn't the saint christopher means it's kind of like a it's a good look charm isn't it to, for, to protect you protect you yeah. Is, yeah so which is yeah it's a really cool little thing but um which I mean is really interesting like pointing towards his character in that direction with like because he, he's obviously he's feeling a bit nerved about things he's just yeah offered, you know it really reflects his character well he feels like he's on the way down he's vulnerable yeah you know he's got people wanting him to go to Italy and make movies and he's like I, I don't want to do he that, wants to make it in like Hollywood a failure then mm. yeah that's it so. which is cool as well because like Leonardo DiCaprio in that when he's off screen in the film playing just regular Rick Dalton, mm. he has a stutter, doesn't he? And then when he's on yeah. screen, it's completely gone. And that just shows the level of kind of actor Leonardo DiCaprio is well, and what when a fantastic... He, when he's doing that, he's playing a character within a character. Then, yeah, 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 that's, yeah. That's a whole nother... Ridiculous. Yeah. Like, that is, yeah, Inception. But um, talking of Brad Pitt in them scenes then, uh, Cliff Booth's uh, costumes and what he's wearing... Uh, he is that Wrangler jacket. Yeah, he manages right. to pull off double denim better than most people. A lot, a lot of people like can twice, do it. But twice in that film, I think. Blue it? and white. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he looks fantastic. And then those desert boots he's got as well, the kind of that, that hark back to the kind of the Native Americans. Because mm. um, we looked up, didn't we? I wanted to see what they were, but they, they have suede soles, which is kind of impractical like most things not in the ideal 60s. for manchester not ideal for manchester no, you'll be basically like wearing your socks outside yeah. in the rain <laughs> but uh yeah they have like a native american print on the side and if you can't really tell in the film what they look like go and uh, have a google for them because they're easy to find and yeah mm. they're really really cool but his whole look is so cool isn't it he, he just um yeah what a fantastic kind of role for him to play i know we were both spe- speaking about earlier because we both found out mm. that um Burt Reynolds was originally going to be in the film, wasn't he? But he mm. unfortunately died before filming could start, so he did the readings. But he said, Brad Pitt, oh, he's too good looking for a stuntman. So they, they put that line in the film, didn't they? Yeah, they yeah. kind of, um, when he's on set, uh, I can't remember who actually says that to him now. It could be in the bit with Bruce Lee. Oh, yeah, Bruce Lee says it, it to him, yeah, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, of course. But yeah, out of the two... Um, Big question early on then. Out of the two, uh, out of um, Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton, uh, do you have a favourite character out of the two of those? Well, Or even style-wise? Who, who... I mean, style-wise, I think, because um, I've done like one of Cliff Booth's outfits, the mm. double white denim that he wears towards the end of the film. So I think that's got to be a, a favourite yeah. for me. That Because um... it's that perfect late 60s, like Keith Moon look yeah. as well. And Keith Moon, thinking about it, lived in Hollywood I yeah, don't know if it was late 60s it, but well he was a massive 70s. fan of the Beach Boys wasn't he that's and so it and he moved there it just kind of nods itself mm. so well to but that I era just, doesn't it I just think I know it's it's always a bit of a risk going out in double white denim but it's yeah it's, it's a statement in it yeah, but it's a cool statement you know you'll, you'll always turn heads in a room when you walk in with that and it's it's just yeah love it proper cool outfit just even just a plain black t-shirt underneath works really well with it like
Heaven Scent Fragrance by Helena Rubenstein. Spray it on and heavenly things happen. Heaven Scent. Splash in it. Laugh in it. Live in it. Love in it. You'll find Heaven Scent Fragrance at Helena Rubenstein counters everywhere. Heaven Scent Fragrance by Helena Rubenstein. Spray it on and heavenly things happen. Heaven Scent. Splash in it. Laugh in it. Live in it. Love in it. You'll find Heaven Scent Fragrance at Helena Rubenstein counters everywhere. Fudge, you keep me hanging on. You're listening to a cut above 
right here on the Face Radio, and it's a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood special where I'm joined with my special guest, Ollie Davis. My name, of course, is Tom Hoy, and I'll be ne- I'll be here for the next hour or so discussing things all about the clothes from the film, the aesthetic, the music, and more. A little shout out right now to our sponsor for the show, Mod Shoes and 66 Clothing. And you can go and check out their latest range over at modshoes.co.uk for loafers, desert boots, knitwear, gabichi, and all the rest of it. Go and check it out. Um, remember as well, you can follow me on Instagram at TomTheMod, on Twitter at TomTheModDJ, and over on Facebook at TomHoy. Over on Instagram at TomTheMod, you can find a link in my bio which has links to all my other shows, including my shows back when I was on Totally Wired Radio with GoGo Power, uh, gig info, videos, and lots more. Why not go and check those out over on my Instagram at TomTheMod. Okay, shameless plugging out the way, back to the show. Looking at nods at other actors then, I think a really cool one that's in the film and off the film, off screen as well, is the similarities between um, uh, Rick Dalton, Leonardo DiCaprio and Steve McQueen. And um, I've actually heard Tarantino reference the whole role as um, uh, uh, Rick Dalton, the man who would be McQueen, because he's almost chasing after him, isn't he? Like there's, there's a few instances in the film where you can tell he's... Maybe not so much envious of um, 
Steve McQueen, but he's kind of like, that should have been me, that could well, have been me. It's even right down to that bit where it's really obvious where they've just uh, dropped him in. Uh, Rick Dalton into the uh, the Great Escape, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, was talking to I, the, I mean, I told you like guards. how happy I was in the cinema. <laughs> and I was like, I think my smile was so wide across my face. The Great Escape, one that's, that's got to be one of my favorites. Oh just, my like, god! It's Captain, and he pulls his collar it's just... off. It's so cool. Hey, Rick, I gotta ask you something. I heard about. Was it true you almost got the McQueen part in the Great Escape? Hills, isn't it? Captain Hills, actually. Seventeen escape attempts. 18. Never had an audition. Never had a meeting. Never met John Sturgis. So, no, I don't think you could say I, I almost got the part. Tunnelman, engineer, flyer, as opposed to what's called in the American Army a hotshot pilot. But the story goes uh, for a brief moment, McQueen almost passed on the movie, and during that brief moment, I apparently was on, on the list of four. You have other plans? I haven't seen Berlin yet from the ground or from there, and I plan on doing both before the war's over. You and who? Me and, me and three Georges. Which three Georges? Papard, Maharis, and Shakaris. Oh, man. Yeah. That's gotta hurt. Yeah, well, I didn't get it. McQueen did it, and frankly, I never had a chance. <laughs> Ten days isolation hills. Captain Hills. Twenty days. Right. Oh, uh... You'll still be here when I get out. Cooler. <laughs> I mean, like, obviously, Tarantino had to break his CGI rule mm. for that, but you can't even tell that CGI, can you? No, like, it's, it's incredible how they've done it. But um, Ridiculous. Yeah. <clears throat> it just shows you, doesn't it? It does that little nod to, like, oh, well, you know, he's a bit of along the lines of Steve McQueen. and But, yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal it's just because there's, there's certain points in the film isn't it where he's like really highlighting that i mean like there's the great escape one of course um there's the kind of like the fbi episode at the mm. end uh which he's playing a, a, a burt reynolds role but they've made it very kind of um steve mcqueen in the sense mm. that he's he's wearing a barracuda He's got like the white polo shirt underneath the uh, the chinos and the boots. It's very Steve McQueen, mm-hmm. and it's like the Barracuda is a signifier of like movie hero, isn't it? And a Tarantino's department, whether that was his decision or his kind of costume department, know that they've placed that in the film. And there's another point where there's another barrack sorry i could go on about barracuda yeah, a lot but no. there's another barracuda in the film it's in the italian film isn't it um, which That's is it. almost almost hinting at like an italian job style film isn't it and driving like a mini isn't yeah it? italian yeah, job and i think like, it's a bit of a nod to like bullet as well mm-hmm. isn't it which yeah. is another steve mcqueen role but no it's really cool and um so i, I did touch on this on the last episode of the show mm. with simon Powell when we did the steve mcqueen special but obviously um Damien Lewis is in the film playing Steve McQueen. What did you think of his portrayal? I think his it's pretty cool. It seems to get that obviously from what you get from Steve McQueen in his interviews and when you see him actually on screen. Um I think he just he comes across as that almost like quiet, calculated guy at the back of the room yeah. that you can imagine you get him in front of the camera and he'll he'll take control. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, Damien Lewis portrayal is amazing. Like even down to the wardrobe he's wearing as well, black yeah. leather jacket, the white jeans. Yeah. Um, perfect and I think the other character he talks to in that scene is um, meant to be his wife isn't it uh, Neil yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. and uh, yeah it's just Stephen like because we were talking about their kind of relationship was a bit 
bit of a uh, it was free and I, 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 one, wasn't it like so the, McQueen really got into <clears> the hippie movement and uh, kind uh, and I think Neil I mean she's living with Steve McQueen you're married to Steve McQueen he's mm. going to be a handful he's going to be trouble she almost kind of had to give in to him and let him have affairs and all that whether she wanted to or not and it wasn't until it kind of went the other way that it mm. kind of annoyed him but it, it kind of but I feel like they really capture that, in yeah, that scene, yeah even yeah. just from that small exchange the way he really talks fondly about Sharon Tate right yeah. in front of her yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. It's, uh... but um, yeah I thought it was a fantastic portrayal of Steve McQueen down to the like there's even a look that he does hi this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. In between... I think Neil says something to him and he does almost like a smirk look up mm. and that's exactly a McQueenism. Like, it's like definitely what he does. And I don't know. Well, they called him a young Steve McQueen, I think, when he did all the, uh, Band, the of Brothers. Band of Brothers, didn't they? Yeah. yeah, I mean, he does look like him weirdly and mm. I think it wasn't until like I watched Band of Brothers again recently and you really notice it. <laughs> you really notice it. And I don't know if that's because he's in like a leather jacket, like similar to what McQueen wore in A Great Escape, but you kind of like, I don't know. He's just so suited for that role. Mm-hmm. And I, I, before uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I did always think he'd be great in a biopic of, of the yeah, Queen yeah. or someone like that.
that brings us neatly onto that bit of the film, uh, the Playboy Mansion, which was actually filmed at the Playboy Mansion, and that's a really good scene in it for like a who's who of um, kind of celebrities and mm. people of pop culture at the time. Um, anything you like about that scene in particular? I, I mean, straight away it throws you in with um, Hush by Deep Purple, isn't it? Which, yeah. Um, I think we were looking at the other day. It was um, that was where they actually did. Their first TV performance of that song, I think, was actually at the the Playboy Mansion. And I mean, you're not Crazy. telling me that's an accident. Like, no, that's, it, that's what he was doing. I mean, that's that's real detail going in there. But it's great. Like you see, obviously, a lot of um, like the mamas and papas, you kind of get introduced to kind of Sharon Tate's, um, you know, circle of friends. Yeah. And uh, JC bring as well, and they kind of discuss. Um, a little bit i think steve mcqueen talks about their kind of relationship between sharon and jay yeah um how they were kind of past lovers and things like that and so it's just a great and it really captures that 60s feel of everybody just out mm. there having a great time and i think it's a um, son of a loving man over yeah the great the great pool. song absolutely great track really encapsulates the 60s and yeah just that whole it's just great i love seeing those kind of all those different characters you know michelle phillips uh, mm. mama cass and and obviously steve mcqueen as well as we've talked about it's just yeah great like you say a who's mm. who of the 60s really wasn't it in that shot
and Robin. With exclusive news for KHJ listeners. It's the Batphone Secret Number Contest presented by Boss Radio. There's a terrific prize for the first KHJ listener to guess the secret number of our Batphone. You've seen us answering the Batphone on TV. It's a special hotline Commissioner Gordon uses to contact us whenever there's trouble. There are seven digits in the Batphone secret number. Listen to what you'll win if yours is the first correct answer received by KHJ. You'll visit Batman and me at 20th Century Fox and be our guest for lunch at the studio. Then you'll ride to the Batcave in the Batmobile, where Robin and I will present you with a 1966 console color television set. To visit us and win the color TV, just guess the secret Batphone number. Watch for Robin and me on Channel 7 Wednesday and Thursday nights. And keep it on KHJ for more clues in the Batphone Secret Number Contest. Enterprise Log, Captain James Kirk commanding. We are leaving that vast cloud of stars and planets which we call our galaxy. The question, what is out there in the black void beyond? This is Captain Kirk of the USS Enterprise. Is there anyone on board? Is there anyone on board? Have you raised anyone, Lieutenant? Nothing, sir. It is an unmanned probe which seems to be carrying a warhead. William Shatner stars as Captain Kirk and Leonard Nimoy as science officer Spock on Star Trek in color.
the soul of Brooklyn all the way from Manchester, England. You're listening to A Cut Above with me, Tom Hoy, right here on The Face Radio. This is the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood special featuring my special guest, Ollie Davis, and we're talking all things about clothes, aesthetic, and more to do with the film. That was Paul Revere and the Raiders with Good Thing, a brilliant track that features in the film. Remember, if you want more than just the show, you can find me on social media, on Instagram at TomTheMod, on Facebook at TomHoy, and on over on Twitter at TomTheModDJ. You can find videos, other shows, other podcasts, playlists, and lots more over there. And remember, I have a daily clothing blog over on Instagram that you can keep up to date with. Switch on notifications to be told when I'm posting. Now... Back to the show. A really important reason, perhaps, for people in the know, the fact that Steve McQueen's in that film, I don't think wasn't just because Tarantino wanted to put him in. I, I, I kind of, I found out after that Steve McQueen was really part of that group with JC Bring, mm. Roman Polanski, and uh, Sharon Tate. He was good friends of them all. And on the night that Sharon Tate was murdered... Uh, by the Mansons, he was actually invited round to Sharon Tate's house, so he would have been there. And it had it not have been for the person he was having an affair with, going, "Nah, don't go round." Mm. Who knows? He he could have been there too. And he was actually on the top of their hit list. And I found out Steve McQueen after that always carried round. I think it was a Colt forty five ever since <laughs> yeah, then. Because he was worried about him coming off. He had a target yeah. on his back. Yeah, yeah. He was always afraid that he was going to be next. Mm. But um. Yeah, I mean, that's a level of detail that kind of not everyone knows. And you think that's, oh, it's that could be like, I don't know, he's put Steve McQueen in it because it's Steve McQueen, it, yeah, the yeah. king of Hollywood that's at the it. time. But that just goes to show, doesn't it? Like this is kind of like, without sounding over the top, it's more of a film. It's almost mm. like a historic piece apart from it being kind of not true to what actually happened at yeah, the yeah. end. But what did you think to the ending? I, obviously, people have hopefully all seen the film, but yeah, I, I'm hoping not a big spoiler. <laughs> maybe switch off for five minutes. But what do you think to the ending? I, I mean, I absolutely love it. I mean, it does it ends the film in true Tarantino so maybe style. For people that may like, not have seen it but don't care, maybe explain. So what, basically, it kind of um, it changes it changes history a little bit. So instead of um, the group of the the Manson family who have been sent down there by Charles Manson to kill Sharon Tate. Well, originally they're actually going uh, looking for Dennis Wilson and mm. uh, Terry Melcher, I believe his yeah, name yeah, is the yeah. producer, because um, they they were the past residents there as um, Charles Manson was, he wanted a, a music career and he'd become friends with uh, Dennis Wilson and Terry Melcher. And uh, Terry Melcher, who actually is the producer for uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders, which is actually two of the songs you hear, uh, played by them, which is a uh, hungry and a good thing. Which and is again definitely on purpose. It's not that's a coincidence, not a co- is it? Tarantino knows his stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. It. And he was the producer of that um, record, um, and uh, and they used to live and they lived there. And uh, Manson recorded some of his demos. So I don't know if any of the listeners have heard any of Charles Manson demos. I think they're <laughs> interesting, a bit, a bit creepy. Aren't they? <laughs> but I think probably because of the association with what he did. Um, yeah. But. They lived there and so they were sent round um, to murder them, but obviously they weren't, they didn't live there anymore. They get the wrong Sharon house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But whereas at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they kind of changed the story as they turned left 
on Ciela Drive instead of right mm. um, and ended up in Rick Dalton's house. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Which is an interesting end. Very cool. Because obviously earlier on the film, we hear that Rick Dalton uh, was in a film... Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a World War II film, which I yeah. remember when we stopped <clears throat> recording the name of. Hi, this is Future Tom to Past Tom. It was, of course, the 14 Fists of McCluskey. I did indeed remember once the microphone was switched off. Here's a clip from that. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? <laughs> it's in the World War II for, uh, film where he's trained to use a flamethrower, which he funnily... That's there's a scene my, where he says... That's one of when my favourite lines. Yeah, is there, is there any way we can get rid of that heat? And he's like, it, it's a flamethrower, Rick. <laughs> but in the, in the film, he torches loads of uh, kind of SS generals and... Um, he says, does someone order fried sauerkraut? But later on, he kills one of the Mansons with the uh, flamethrower, doesn't he? Yeah, after there's been like a big um, fight. Oh, after she's had a head hit against the <laughs> telephone about 15 <laughs> yeah. times and all oh, sorts. God. And a dog attack and all everything. She's been through the lot, hasn't she? Because uh, It's an absolutely crazy scene, but it's done in true Tarantino style with hyper violence and uh but it's almost has got that slight comedic value because he's as well rick dalton's floating around in the swimming pool while they're all having a big fight in the living room with cliff booth and cliff booth's dog yeah um he's out there listening to uh what's it um uh snoopy, snoopy versus, versus the red, the red baron, baron which when i was little i loved after the turn of the century in the clear blue skies over Germany came a roar and a thunder men have never heard like the screaming sound of a big warbird. Up in the sky, a man in a plane, Baron von Richthofen was his name. Eighty men tried and eighty men died, now they're buried together on the countryside. Spinning out of sight. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 or more. The bloody red bear was run up the score. Eight men died trying to end that 
I was very happy to hear and that. And it just really brings that like kind of slightly the humorous comedic, side, yeah. uh, comedic value to it. But yeah, so a proper, yeah, they go in and obviously they, they take out and kill the, the Manson family mm. uh, followers. And so. it comes really, really nicely full circle, doesn't it? Because right at the beginning, obviously, uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio realizes that uh, Roman Polanski, the director of Rosemary's Baby and all these mm. massive films, lives next door. But he just wants in on that. He um, he realizes he's kind of an outsider. But right at the end, after hearing everything that's happened, Jay Sebring recognizes him as it's you from Bounty Law. Mm. And then Sharon Tate comes over at the intercom and says, uh, "Do you want to come over for a drink with me and my friends?" And he, and you assume after that he's accepted into this yeah, yeah. into this world and he, he gets all the films out of it. Well, show me the way to the next whiskey bar. Oh, don't ask why. Oh, don't ask why. Show me.
This is Sharon Tate, who plays the role of Jennifer in Valley of the Dolls. Sharon, you're a Texas girl, aren't you? Yes, I was born in Dallas. How much time did you spend there? No time. No time at all. I went from there to Washington State and then to Italy. But we can still claim you in Texas. Sure. <laughs> Sharon, was the, had you read Valley of the Dolls before you were cast? Mm-hmm. I had. Did you see yourself in the role of Jennifer? Well, out of, out of all the characters in the book, that was the one that I liked the most, the one that I had sympathy for, really. Jennifer is referred to as the body beautiful, and uh, you're a very lovely girl, and it's certainly good casting. But that's a label that most actresses don't like. Do you resent it? Well, I don't mind if, if I have a nice body or someone says I'm nice looking, but I d the whole tag <clears throat> put together, the conception of it, <clears throat> excuse me, is, uh, I don't think, very complimentary because a lot of times it comes out the wrong way. <laughs> Wasn't it McCall's that did a story on you no. recently? What was the magazine? Saturday Evening Post. Saturday Evening Post, okay. Um, were you pleased with that story, Sharon? Um, uh, that's difficult to, to, uh, to answer. I was pleased with it. It was a fun story. I laughed at it, you know. I, I enjoyed it very much. But I didn't really take it down and analyze it because then you get hurt by lots of things. But the uh, comparison that uh, you are the new Marilyn Monroe, how did you react to that? Well, nobody could ever be Marilyn Monroe, in, in my words. I, I think she was a fantastic one person, and nobody could ever duplicate that. So I don't really pay any attention to those kind of comments. You, uh, actually, Valley of the Dolls is your fourth picture, is it not? Yes. And you have three pictures that are still unreleased, <coughs> so we haven't actually seen you on the screen yet. But what is the best advice as a young actress that you've been given? Work. <laughs> Just go to classes, study, because it doesn't come easy. It's a lot of hard work. Are you in the, uh, the school here at 20th? No, no. How have you uh, gotten your training then? Well, I studied here with uh, an acting coach. I studied with Lee Strasberg in New York and various places. What would you ultimately like to achieve as an actress? What, in what terms? What do you mean? A particular role or a certain type of fame or what's your ultimate ambition? Well, at this moment, I really couldn't say, but I want to remain as much myself as possible, you know, and, and just do what I feel like doing and, and what really excites me and interests me. Thank you very much, Sharon Tate, on the set of Valley of the Dolls. I think we should definitely now, we should talk about Sharon Tate because Margot Robbie's portrayal is amazing, isn't it's it? It's even endorsed by her sister. By as her well, sister. Sharon Tate's sister. And I mean, down to the detail where her sister approved of the role so much she actually gave or loaned uh, Tarantino some of uh, Sharon's jewellery for Margot Robbie to wear, which is like a trust you must have to know. And, and I mean, it's a very kind role for her, isn't it? Portrays mm. her in a really good light. It's kind of, I don't know, there's nothing there to paint Sharon Tate in a bad no, light. And she was supposedly like a really nice woman. Um, and she's definitely portrayed that well, she's, well. She's definitely in the film, I think, to kind of capture the... Um, like innocence and yes. kind of easy going of that late 60s era. I mean, there's a, a, a bit of her where she um, just picks up 
somebody on the side of the road um, and just yeah, gives them a lift, yeah. you know, um, in a portion that to where she's going and, mm. you know, just pretty happy, easy going, you know, goes in to watch her own film then, doesn't she? Um, Which is interesting because there's a bit in it where in all of Tarantino's films, there's some feet in there. Mm. And it, whatever you think, it can be gross. It yeah. can be like, if you're into that, fine. Yeah, but <laughs> there's the uh, there's the bit where uh, she takes her boots off in the cinema and she puts her feet up and they're dirty. And I, I, if you don't know the history of Sharon Tate, you might think that's just another Tarantinoism. But it's actually supposedly because... She never really used to like wearing shoes. She didn't like so. wearing shoes. So that's another little nod to her, as you said before, her like her innocence, isn't it? But... Mm. Um, yeah, her style is amazing in that film, isn't it? And it's kind of no, that's it. And he he took an interesting um, thing with the Wrecking Crew as well, because the actual footage is actually Sharon Tate. They didn't recreate it; they actually true. decided to use. Which I think in this, when you're you're looking at a historical figure like that, and you've got to treat it with respect, I think that's probably the best thing you could have done. Because it is great to actually see that footage from that film mm. and then they slice it in with uh, training to fight with Bruce Lee as well don't they which is re- really yeah. cool but like um, and, and what I thought was cool for that when they go back to that Bruce Lee uh, sequence which you just reminded me of when she's training they've fa- either found or they've recreated perfectly or the designers and that or they remade it the costume that she's wearing in the film yeah it's so bang it, on isn't it yeah bang on which has reminded me of something else in terms of uh, stuff they've recreated or found uh, was in the FBI sequence of the film uh, when they've recreated that episode. The truck that's used is the real one, isn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. Like, the level of detail, like the, the fact that they tracked that down and found that is amazing. Just give it a new paint job and then it was off. Like, I mean, I, that's one of my favourite sequences, I think, that FBI bit. Yeah, me too. Just sitting yeah. around the telly watching it as just proper cool and even then Clint Eastwood's in it as well and just yeah. like, I mean it's yeah just great a bit of like side footage and oh it's got Clint Eastwood in it yeah, yeah. don't get much better than that do you
band of members of a so-called religious cult with a leader they called Jesus has had three of its followers arrested in the investigation of the murder of Sharon Tate and six others. Those arrested are two women and one man, and the Los Angeles police said they would ask murder indictments against several others. Five women are being held as material witnesses. This is where they lived, among the stables, barns, and phony buildings of an old rundown movie location 20 miles from Los Angeles. They called themselves the family. They came and went, and the number varied from 20 to 30. Police said they were a pseudo-religious cult. People who worked on the ranch said they were heavy users of drugs. They were constantly taking dope and stealing cars, and just they just sit around all day and sleep, and that's about it. And they went around collecting garbage and had that for dinner and went to the store once in a while. And that was about it. They just left and got loaded. The family left the caves they'd been living in on the Spawn movie ranch in the early fall, after the Tate murders. Later, police raided the ranch and found stolen cars. The family set up another camp in the desert, near Death Valley. Five members are now in jail on other charges in the desert town of Independence. The family's leader, Charles Manson, is jailed here. It is expected that he will be charged in the Tate murders. People who lived with Manson on the ranch and in the desert denied that they were a violent group. Well, we playing. That's what the whole thing is. That we, we were all we was doing out there was playing. You know. Well, what kind of a guy was Charlie? He's a good person. A very good person. He's got a lot of peace. Was he out there all the time? I don't even know. You know, he he take off over mountains just like deer. Was anybody stealing anything out there? Yeah, well, what's there to steal? We don't want to bother nobody. You know, all we want to do is get away from the city. Police apparently got their break in the Tate case when this girl, Susan Atkins, a member of Manson's family, was arrested in another Los Angeles murder and talked to a cellmate about the Tate killings. According to the police, and they have, in fact, uh, shown me some evidence which indicates that they have... Um, um, a reason to believe that she may have been involved in both those other um, episodes, at least to some extent. I can say this much, though. She has at no time ever actually herself physically killed any person. Are you saying she may have been present, though? Uh, the police evidence as revealed to me would indicate that she was.
in terms of favourite sequences then, is there a favourite sequence in the film where you think, oh, that's my favourite outfit? Or is there a period in the film that you think has got the best looks to it at all? Um, well, I mean, my favourite outfit is, like I mentioned earlier, is that double white denim really cool and that's like the the last the the closing scenes where they have mm. the big fight at the end um because i think they go down to a restaurant first and then um as they're kind of like it's their last night together uh and cliff and uh rick as they're kind of you know kind of going separate ways moving on yeah it's yeah. going to do different movies and things so they're not really going to work together as much so they kind of go out on a big uh drinking bender as a kind of farewell um and uh and then at the end i mean that's one of my favorite bits when he's out there uh by the swimming pool with a flamethrower like it's just yeah, cause it's yeah, just yeah. i remember watching it for the first time having kind of like no expectations because that was uh, this was the first tarantino film i watched um so i hadn't really seen his other work then so mm. it kind of it really took me by surprise how at the end it's like whoa yeah, just yeah, yeah. absolutely goes In full throttle face. action yeah. movie like and i absolutely loved it
so, so what about um, Leonardo DiCaprio as Rick Dalton? Do you have a favourite look for him at all? Um, so, I mean, it's that one we were talking about earlier when I think he's on the scene, uh, the, the set of uh, Lancer, when they're filming that, oh, that yeah. sequence yeah. Uh, with a yellow turtleneck. And yeah, yeah. I think that's just... That oh, he's got the ice in his face. And, and I really like as well, um, when he comes back from Italy at the mm. airport, There's it's like a beautiful, really like kind of deep collared um like zip up overshirt with, with like a like paisley a, scarf with yeah, a silk yeah, scarf I, yeah. Me, yeah just that, the sunglasses as well it's just a proper cool look he's grown his hair out a little bit more yeah he's got really nice trousers on you know um perfectly tailored beautiful yeah. boots on as well and for me it's just yeah a really sharp look that i mean imagine like that's what you come back from making films yeah, yeah, yeah. looking like that just like yeah that's that's cool that so know. so let's have a look at characters then and um have a think about maybe stuff in our own wardrobe or things mm. that we uh, on the market that we could recreate the looks for for people listening if they think god they look cool in the film i want to look just like them let's give them some tips so we'll kick off with rick dalton he's he's probably the lead in the film mm. isn't he like how would you uh recreate a rick dalton look well straight away i mean one of my um I mean, I'm an absolute lover of wearing like a turtleneck or a mock neck. Um, that's a real like staple of my wardrobe. Mm. Um, so I've just started, uh, I've got some from uh, a company called Madcap England. Yeah. Um, got a really good price, great quality uh, mock necks. And I kind of I took a bit of inspiration from that yellow turtleneck that Rick's yeah. wearing in the Lancer, on the Lancer set. Um, so I was like, oh, that'd be a proper smart look. So I've got a brown leather jacket, uh, my pretty green black label jacket yeah. and the pair of those I've, I ordered a, like a, a yellowy mustardy sort of mock neck jumper. Those two colours complement each other so yeah, well, just, don't they? You put those together and it's absolute killer duo straight away. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd basically say the same as you. There's, I've got a, uh, a mustard turtleneck from Art Gallery clothing. Mm. That's fantastic. I love that. Lovely fold back cuffs on it, which is just a detail that's, I don't know, it's mm. just amazing. Um, and then... Uh, real hoxton more or less do the exact leather jacket that he wears mm. in the film like a tan safari one i don't have one of those but i have um like a three button uh chore jacket it's the same color kind yeah. of like a bla- blazer but that works really well too but that's, that's a great right. look yeah. in it it's yeah. so it works still today it's contemporary true it's not what everyone's wearing but mm. that's the point in it? it it's it's so really want cool. to be a bit different because you actually wore that outfit for one of our dj nights i did yeah yep. yeah and then uh, and then yeah one of my other favorite one cliff booth um, yeah so what uh, would you do for him obviously I mean for the double white denim I've got my um, white Levi 551 jeans um, absolutely perfect for that because they're slightly off white as well yeah so really kind of I feel like captures that 60s feel yeah, of having yeah. that slightly off white because um, you're just looking back through the 60s the Beatles the Stones are wearing them you know yeah, it's yeah. yeah just a great look from that era um, and then I have a um, pretty green white denim jacket, uh, which they did in collaboration with The Who. Which, which is, is exactly McQueen. Uh, yeah. McQueen, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Based on Keith Moon. Keith Moon, Jesus. I completely <laughs> yeah. lost my trailer for then. Was Steve McQueen the drummer in The Who? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Who knows, he could have been. <laughs> Who knows, yeah. But yeah, so Keith it's actually Moon. based on um, one that Keith Moon wore. Um 
yeah, it's just a great combo. And then I was wearing it. I have um, like a little a black mock neck knit from Pretty Green as well. Yeah, perfect. Um, which is, yeah, absolutely perfect. Cause and I you're think a big fan were, of Chelsea boots as well, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, so. and I basically live in Chelsea boots. So pair them with a nice smart pair of leather Chelsea boots and yeah. or a pair of desert boots as well. Um, and you're really killing it for that 60s feel there. I um, think I'd, I'd for uh, Cliff Booth, Brad Pitt, I would go... Uh, Wrangler denim jacket which is what he wears in the film and I'd maybe break the two brand rule and go over some Levi's mm. or maybe I don't know a lot of kind of mo- motorcyclists in America in that era you either it was kind of like same thing as kind of like Beatles or Stones mm. or Elvis or the Beatles you either wore Wrangler or Levi's but I'd maybe go with Levi's just because loyalty and all that yeah. put some <laughs> Levi's in there um, but no, that Wrangler denim jacket's smart. With it's the, the pockets in it, yeah. And a little bit of pleating as well, because that's kind of similar to John Lennon's People for Peace one as well. Yeah, it's um, definitely of that era, isn't it? When he did Instant Karma on top of the pops, I think it was he wore that. But um, yes, like, absolutely perfect, really it's, smart. It's such a nice jacket, and uh, I will get one one day. Mm. Just It's whether to get one new or vintage, isn't it? But it's finding the right mm. vintage one that's not got that horrible oily vintage thing yeah but it's still in a good wearable condition yeah I, I will find one and then just have to keep digging I think for that one isn't it that's the yeah you could either get some desert boots that are just Clarks or maybe like Huttons or mm. something or Playboys but I don't know maybe you find some vintage ones there that have got suede sole and you've got yeah. your look perfectly but being more pra- practical get some Huttons because They'll last yeah. you longer than suede souls, probably, <laughs> and I wouldn't really go for them. 93 KHJ Golden. Oh, yeah. B. Clark. Boyle Heights. Hey, little girl, man.
And just to be indulgent then, let's do a McQueen outfit. What are we both going to say? Three, two, one. Barracuda. <laughs> so when you say... Um, white jeans. White, white je- yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Three, but it definitely, it's got to be done, hasn't it? Three, two, um, one. Marks and Spencer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe. But yeah, Hutton's uh, desert boots, white jeans, jacket, um, yeah, barracuda, barracuda every time. goes without saying, I think. Um, and I mean, they've got some great ones in this movie, haven't they? So yeah, just, if you didn't want to buy one before, I think watching this movie, you'll want to buy one after it. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, well, thank you so much, Ollie, for coming on. We could do a whole series on this, couldn't we? Yeah, we just like do. I said this last month about Steve McQueen, but it seems to be anything kind of this era uh, <laughs> that's got McQueen in it or involved well, somehow. That's it. Once you get the pair of us started, mate, we don't stop. Do no, we? don't so, stop. Uh, but I'm sure you'll be back again very soon and we'll, we'll think yeah. of another subject. Nice one. To talk Thanks to. for having us on, Tom. But nice uh, let's finish these beers. Let's have it. Oh, actuality. Here we go. (laughs) Thanks a lot, man. Cheers. Well, thank you so much, Ollie, for coming on the show. We did enjoy a drink after that, and we could have gone on for ages. If you want to go and check out Ollie and see him on social media and listen to his music, be sure to go and give him a follow over on his Instagram at Ollie Davis Music. Still plenty more time for some great tunes, though. Inspired by the film and, of course, from the film, just like this one. One of my favourites. It's from 1968. It's The Village Callers with Hector.
Paxton Quigley's had the course from the film, of course, in question tonight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by the brilliant Quentin Tarantino. Well, it's been a fantastic show, and as I said before, I could make a series out of this film. It's influenced me so much just in kind of how I dress, what music I play when I'm out and about, and all the rest of it. Um, But yeah, what a brilliant and fantastic show to make. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed wherever you are. Remember, you can follow Ollie over on Instagram at Ollie Davis Music, and you can find me on social media on Instagram at Tom the Wild, on Facebook at Tom Hoy, and on Twitter at Tom the Wild DJ. And you can find lots of different videos and bits and pieces in the link in my bio over on Instagram at Tom the Mod. Wherever you are, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be again, back again next month with another episode. All the best, take care, and goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.